and now invite our children to follow Pastor Renee out, grades K through two for children's worship. And a special note for parents that they are going to be coming back at the end of worship today so that we can acknowledge Pastor Renee and begin to celebrate her anniversary. Let's pray. Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are a balm for our souls. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the leadership book, From Good to Great, Stanford professor Jim Collins tells a story of a man named Jim Stockdale, who had been the highest-ranking United States military officer in a prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War. Stockdale had faced brutal conditions during his eight-year imprisonment from 1965 to 1973. And he lived out the war without any type of prisoner's rights, no set release date, and no certainty as to whether he would get out, whether he would ever see his family and loved ones again. In preparation for an interview with Admiral Stockdale, Collins read his firsthand account of his experiences over the course of those eight years. And it was completely overwhelming to read about. As he made his way through the book, Collins found himself getting more and more depressed. Everything Stockdale was experiencing just seemed so bleak. The brutality of his conditions and the uncertainty of his fate with absolutely no end in sight. But then he said it dawned on him as he sat there reading this book in the comfort of his office, looking out the window across the beautiful Stanford University campus on a Saturday afternoon. He said, here I am getting depressed reading this book. And yet, I know how it ends. I know the end of the story here. I know that Stockdale gets out. He reunites with his family, becomes a national hero. And if it feels that depressing for me as a reader, then how on earth did Stockdale survive when he was actually there and did not know the end of the story? While Stockdale would later tell Collins in their interview, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted that ultimately I would get out. But I also knew that I would turn that experience into a defining moment in my life in retrospect, which I would not trade. 
Well, Collins was stunned. He sat there in silence for a bit, wondering how Stockdale could have made it never losing faith in the end of his story. And so finally he asked a follow-up question, and he said, who didn't make it out of the prison camps? Oh, that's easy, Stockdale said without hesitating. The optimist. The optimist didn't make it out of prison camp? I I don't understand, Collins said, now completely confused, especially given what Stockdale had just shared moments earlier. The optimist, he said, because they were the ones who insisted we're going to get out of here by Christmas. Christmas would come and Christmas would go and then they'd see, okay, we are going to get out of here by Easter. And Easter would come, and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving, and it would be Christmas again. And before long, he said, I think they died of a broken heart. Well, Collins was speechless. After another long pause, Stockdale turned to him and said, This is a very important lesson I learned. That you must never confuse the faith that you will prevail in the end. Faith that you can never really afford to lose with the discipline to also confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. And that became what is now known as the Stockdale Principle. Now, I think I first heard this story from someone during COVID which for most of us was not anything like Stockdale's experience in a prison camp. But the tensions we were all experiencing were quite similar. Because how many of us said in the beginning, as we were just trying to wrap our minds around what was happening, that this whole thing would be over in six to eight weeks. And then Easter came and Easter went and we said, okay, let's just make it through the summer and we'll be back to normal by the beginning of the school year. And the optimists kept saying, it'll all be over by next year, by 2021. 2021 is going to be the best year ever. And I think we all know the rest of that story, don't we? You see, Stockdale's principle encourages us to hold two seemingly opposing things hand in hand. To hold on to our faith that in the end, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Just as Julian of Norwich once said. And to give ourselves permission to be brutally honest about the realities we are experiencing, whatever they may be. You see, the Stockdale principle doesn't allow us to wear rose-colored glasses, does it? And it reminds us that we must never confuse having faith with having a blind or naive sense of optimism. Well, I share this story with you this morning because in reading Jeremiah... I think we can understand pretty quickly that Jeremiah is clearly not an optimist. (laughs) I read his words to you and I said, this is the word of the Lord. And you looked back at me like, what do we do with that? (laughs) He is being blatantly honest here. 
with God, with us, about how bad things really are. The Israelites have been forced to live in captivity in a land far away from their home. The Babylonians are preparing to desecrate the Israelites' holy site to destroy what is most sacred to them. And so they wonder what in the world they could have done to deserve such a horror. And Jeremiah cries out, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Is there no hope for us? Because the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and still we are not saved. Now, in biblical days, a balm was a coveted item of trade. We read about it in Genesis 37, which says those coming down from Gilead were bringing spices, balms, and myrrh, and taking them down to Egypt to trade. And balm was known to have restorative properties, to heal deep wounds. In this context, I think we can see that the people of Israel have been deeply wounded. To put a more modern spin on it, we might say, is there any healing, is there any hope in West Louisville? Or in Harlan or Hindman, Kentucky? counties that have been devastated by the flooding in the war-torn areas of Ukraine? Is there any hope in Afghanistan right now? Is there any hope in the aftermath of Uvalde and countless and pointless shootings? Because the moment has passed, the press have moved on, the attention in the media has shifted, and yet very little has changed. Bible scholar Anathia Portia-Young points out that earlier in chapter 8, Jeremiah demands that the people of Judah pay attention to the mortal wound that is afflicting their entire nation. He's not an optimist, remember this. He says they must stop pretending that nothing is wrong, stop turning away from the blood and the stench, stop ignoring the voices of the wounded and the oppressed, stop silencing those who testify to the wrongs that have been done to them. And then she adds to the political and religious leaders, Jeremiah tells them to stop claiming that they have magic words or special liturgies that will make everything better. Oof, I told you I didn't want to preach on this one. You know, it's not lost on me that today we are beginning to discuss the book White Too Long by Robert Jones as a congregation. The same day that the lectionary brings us to this difficult to read passage in Jeremiah. Because what do we do with a text as brutally honest and a book as brutally honest as this one. Robert Jones tells us in his book that we can't keep ignoring our past and the ways it is seeping into and infiltrating our present circumstances. He writes, if we white Christians are going to get any critical leverage on our past, and the distortions this past has brought into our present, we have to let go of both the quest for our own self-protection 
That is to say, the advantages that we hoard at unjust costs to others. And we have to let go of the insistence of our racial and religious innocence. We have six different small groups that are meeting over the next few weeks to discuss Jones's book, to prepare for his visit with us next month. And I really hope you'll read and engage with us. You can talk to Aaron Phelps after the service today. If you'd like to join a group, there might still be more time to jump in. And we hope you will bring your questions, your curiosities, your thoughts, your confusion to our time with Robert Jones over the weekend of October 15th and 16th. But all of this brings me back to our text because it actually caught my attention this week when several scholars that I read pointed out that few chapters in the Bible resonated as strongly with enslaved Africans in North America as Jeremiah 8 did. This text about a people who were also forced to live in slavery, taken away from their homes, with everything sacred being taken away from them and destroyed too. And it was enslaved communities of people who originally took these words from Jeremiah and turned them into the refrain of the spiritual we just sang together. Now, while the song's specific origins and writers remain unknown, it's telling to note how it began to increase in popularity against the backdrop of the Jim Crow era and the civil rights movement. But I love what theologian Howard Thurman points out about what happens in this transition between the text in Jeremiah and the song in our hymnal. It's something I'd never noticed before. He says, Jeremiah has come to a Dead Sea kind of place in his life. Not only is he discouraged about the external events in the life of the people of Israel, but he's also spiritually depressed and tortured. And so like a wounded animal, he cries out, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? But he said the enslaved writers caught the mood of Jeremiah's spiritual dilemma. And with it, they did an amazing thing. Because they straightened the question mark in Jeremiah's sentence into an exclamation point. They sang, there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. And there is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And I think it's in this space between the question mark of the prophet Jeremiah and the exclamation point of the spiritual that the Stockdale principle comes to life for me. Because we need to be brutally honest, like Jeremiah and all that his questions represent. We must not, we must confront the facts of our past and our current reality, whatever they may be. We can't look away. And we also need the deep and abiding exclamation point kind of faith that the spiritual calls us toward. We need to remember that God's goodness and faithfulness always get the last word and to never lose sight of the end of the story. Because I believe that the journey of faith happens in the space between the question marks and the exclamation points of our lives. 
between the how long, O Lord, that the psalmist cries out, and Jesus' exclamation to Zacchaeus that today salvation has come to your house. Between Jesus' words cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To his bold final words to the disciples, and lo, I am with you always, exclamation point, to the very end of the age. I wonder this morning in what ways you find yourself living between a question mark and an exclamation point. Between confronting the most brutal facts of your current reality or of our current world situation and holding on to the exclamation point of hope beyond hope that your story isn't over yet. Because God's love always finds a way to get the last word of the story. Today, you probably know that we are celebrating the 15th anniversary of Renee Pertleball's good and faithful and beautiful ministry with us here at Highland. And I was able to say this face-to-face to Renee this morning in the early service. But I actually found some of her words that made the perfect ending for the sermon today. Because as I started to reflect on the things I appreciate most about Renee, it hit me that she has this incredible capacity, both in her work as a pastor and in her day-to-day life, as a wife and mother to Tyler and Eliza. She has this beautiful capacity to embody and hold space for others in the midst of the brutal question mark moments and the joyful exclamation points of our lives. In fact, I found a reflection that Renee wrote for Highland in the newsletter back in November 2018, where I think she does that. She holds the space so well. If you'll remember back to November 2018, I think this was a difficult time in the life of the church. After the retirement of two longtime beloved pastors, it was a difficult time in the life of our country. And Renee notes much of this in her writing. She talks about the uncertainty of the interim time and the inability to see what the future holds. She talks about the unsettling state of the world in which we live. She bravely names the question marks that are hovering around, and she doesn't shy away from them. And yet at the same time, she names that it was also an exclamation point moment in the life of the church when Highland was celebrating an anniversary. As Renee writes, that we have been on this corner of Grinstead and Cherokee faithfully doing the work of love that God is calling us toward for 125 years now. And still we go on, exclamation point, she wrote. She said, I sat listening to the vivid living history of Highland as shared by Phil Collier last Wednesday night. And I was struck by the vastness of Highland's story, of God's impact on the world through the faithfulness of this congregation. 
And she ended her letter by saying, may we each be reminded of the vastness of God and the love that keeps us bound together as we continue to trust that God is calling us even still to work toward a world where justice and love are abundant. The truth is that Renee Pertlebaugh has been a balm for the people of Highland for the past 15 years. She has held space between the question marks and exclamation points of our lives for children in various seasons of their journeys, for weary parents just making it in the door of the church, for senior adults in times of change and transition, for couples experiencing infertility, miscarriage and the pain of loss, for exhausted caregivers, for a new pastor finding her way in a new church during a pandemic, and so many more ways. And so this morning, for all the ways that Renee has pastored our community of faith, for all the ways she sits with us in pain and celebrates with us in joy, and for the ways in which she continually points us toward God's presence with us and all the spaces in between, today we say thanks be to God. And so like Renee Pertlebaugh, like Jim Stockdale, like Howard Thurman, and so many more point out, and ultimately in the ways that Jesus so boldly modeled for us, from his questions on the cross to his exclamations of resurrection and new life, may we bravely find our way between the question marks and exclamation points of the journey of faith, trusting in the one who is with us always. Amen.